Wait a minute here. They're just using the same actor over and over. What kind of a cut-rate production is this? Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at MouseMadnessPod. Send us an email at MouseMadnessPodcast at gmail.com or support us on Patreon by becoming a member of Jerry's Gang at Patreon.com slash MouseMadness. Kyle, it's been a minute since we dove into the world of Pixar. Uh, I think the last Pixar bracket we did was aesthetically beautiful Pixar scenes. Yeah. We've also yep. done some, uh, some Pixar sad scenes. We've <laughs> done Pixar score, Pixar short, Pixar movie. Yep. Yep. I don't know that the episodes themselves have been like a banger episodes, but the conversations are always really fun. At least they are for me. And I always have a really good time making the Pixar episode. Um, and, we, and we've got another one for you today. We do. This one is going to be super silly. I'm very, very excited to dive into this one. It is the best John Ratzenberger character bracket. Chris, uh, brief intro. Who is, who is John Ratzenberger? Well, John Ratzenberger's an actor. Yes, he is. And, yes, he's, he is in, and he's in every Pixar movie, pretty much, <laughs> with pretty like very much. few minor exceptions. Um, and, and like that's part of the, one of the Pixar like brand essences. It's like part of yeah. the brand essence of Pixar is randomly John Ratzenberger <laughs> dropped into everything. Exactly. And we're going to talk all about his characters. Some are more so cameos. Some are established characters in series. It's going to be really good. I'm really excited for this conversation. And to help us declare the best John is returning guest host and Pixar fan, Chels. Chels, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks very much, so much for having me, guys. Uh, you know, Pixar is my absolute favorite brand of the Disney uh, franchise. So yeah, I'm really excited to be part of this. Yeah. So last time that we had you on, you were in the middle of getting your degree and and graduating with a background in animation. And you've yes. done it since then. So first of all, congrats. That's really exciting. And what has happened since graduating uh, and, and finishing up your work in animation in college? Thanks. Yeah, it's, it was uh, it was pretty cool to graduate Zoom school. Um, I did my <laughs> entire... School. Yeah, Zoom school. Uh, completely graduated my with my master's in digital media um, through online. So that was interesting. Um, and yeah, so I, I, the last that I probably spoke with you guys was talking about my um, animation short film. And so I was able to produce, animate, write, direct the whole thing, took on the whole project um, and wrote my thesis paper. And it, w it went over very, very well. Um, the the reception of it was more than I could have imagined. Um, so it's called uh, Maiden Mascot. So if you would like to check it out on YouTube, um, we can share those links as well as I plug myself. But um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was a really cool experience um, being able to kind of take that on, especially because animation has been something that I've, 
you know, thought of my whole life, but never and imagined thought that I could be part of it, especially just because, um, like drawing and everything is not something in illustration has not been something that, um, I was just naturally good at. It's something I had to really start to, to really practice and learn. Um, so then to be able to do it for my master's was fun. And then right out of my master's, I had probably two weeks of, of a break before I was hopped right into my full-time job. Um, where I'm working at a, um, animation and visual effects studio in downtown Toronto, um, full-time. So that's been really cool working on lots of projects. Um, and yeah, so I'm kind of just built now building my career as a producer, um, in the animation studio space. That is so cool. And uh, happy to report that Chris and I attended that virtual graduation <laughs> and we got to see your animated short and it was very good. So uh, yeah, we'll make sure that we include the the link to your your project in the show notes and as we tweet it out. But uh, yeah, congrats. It's really exciting. It's awesome that you got to stay in the animation world and we're excited to have you here to dive into your favorite arm of the Disney company here with this Pixar bracket. Yes, thanks. All right. I'm excited. Let's get into it. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, before we get too far into it, however, uh, we got to talk some spoonfuls of sugar. Kyle, uh, you texted me before recording. You said, I'm, I'm about to be a hard alcohol boy yep. today. Um, yep. so, what, so what do you got? You, te- you teasing me. I need to know. Yeah. So I had hinted this in the last uh, bracket because I kind of had to phone it in after the holidays, and it was really just Stella's that I was drinking. Still have some Stella's in the fridge, but I said I was going to break out the home bartender. I was going to do some little cocktail mix action, and that's what I have with you today. This is called the Cuban Island Cocktail, and oh boy, it is three-fourths ounce of white rum, three-fourths ounce of vodka, three-fourths ounce of lemon juice, and then between (laughs) a fourth and three-fourths ounce of Contro orange liqueur. I did the full three-fourths because I got scared with how much of the uh, the hard alcohol was in there, and I need something to cut with it. Uh, you put it into a shaker, shake it on up, you strain it, and I have it here in my spoonful of sugar mug, and I have not taken a taste quite yet. Oh, that's nice. Ooh. That is citrusy with a little bit of sweetness from the control as well as the white rum. Uh, this is dangerous. Danger town. <laughs> I might be talking about a husband crab from Finding Dory for <laughs> an hour and a half if I get too Please. deep into this. So uh, Cuban Island cocktail. I don't really have a fun name for it quite yet, but uh, there's there's your recipe for this episode. Chris, what have you got? So um, last Bracket, we established that Senka is my spirit animal and that I also get cold very easily. <laughs> um, some context. The, th- the threshold for me when, when it goes from like hot to cold is like 82. Anything below that, it's cold out. Uh, so I know Chelsea in uh, Toronto is probably rolling her eyes at me, but... Uh, my ideal temperature is like 94. Like that is the perfect temperature for me. Oh, it's too hot. So my heater, my heater broke. We have, we have central heat in my apartment and it broke. Oh no. Night, 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 night. So um, <laughs> we're trying to stay warm in here. And obviously we still live in California. So it's only like 60 in my apartment, but we're like in the shade. We don't get direct sunlight. So it's a little bit, a little bit chilly in here. So um, in addition to that, 
I had five hours of meetings today, which, um, you know, it's not a drag because I love my job and the meetings were very fun and productive and, and whatnot. However, I don't know if you all are like this too, but I find virtual Zoom meetings so much more exhausting than in-person meetings yes, because I, I, like, I like hold myself in this little tiny box so people can see me being a good active listener for like right. five hours and I'm like nodding my yeah. head and, and like have like perfect <laughs> posture. Whereas if we're, like, we're in like a conference room, I'm probably like slouching a little bit. Right. Um, so after I hung up my last call, I got this like excruciating pain in my jaw, like my left side of my jaw. And I think it was just tension um, <clears throat> just from like holding myself like smiley and nodding for five straight hours. Right. Uh, so, so anyways, I decided <laughs> this is, this to build up. I'm very excited. Yeah. For so I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm the type of person like when, when, when I require self care, it's not like I'm going to cut loose baby. Yeah. Let me, let me rage my face off. Uh, it's like, I need some, like my dream is to have a sensory deprivation tank in my home. Like that is my, <laughs> that is my ideal form of like self care. So okay. I, uh, I made myself a lavender stress relief tea. Um, oh. and, and I'm drinking it out of my, uh, frozen Broadway mug. I double bagged it. So hopefully I get a little extra stress relief. <laughs> um, extra relaxed. I did not spike it with anything. I'm drinking it just to- virgin. And I'm hoping that my lockjaw symptoms are gone by the time <laughs> we're done talking about John Ratzenberger. And I'm sorry if I end up slouching at any point during this uh, recording. I might have to oh. get out my neck pillow at some point. Like, who knows? But. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that is my spoonful of sugar. Chels, what do you have uh, today north of the border? Well, is it's we're going through a huge cold front here in Toronto after we got completely plowed with like history breaking snow. Yeah. yeah. So I'm um, and I also for January was going sober. I was doing uh, trying to. I, I made it 20 days, but then I <laughs> thought, no, I think I'm going to break out the alcohol. Wow. Um, for this, for you guys specifically. I was going to say, so special of us. Right I know. <laughs> You're the special or, or bad influences breaking my, my sobriety here. But all right. um, so I decided just to go with a very simple uh, once upon a vine and just a nice red wine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If it's you, good for uh, you. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it is good for it's you. It's healthy. It's healthy alcohol. If you listen to um, our Jerry's Gang episode on my Disneyland trip report, you'll know that I had plenty of Once Upon a Vine. It was more like 20, time, 20 what, times of a vine. I was... I was I'm malfunctioning You're because still this, feeling the effects. No, this, that cube, this Cuban, I a uh, uh, twentieth, twentieth, twentieth times a vine. Uh, Chris, as you hinted at, there's only really like seventeen John Ratzenberger characters, mm-hmm. so the demographic didn't have to work too hard when it came to ranking these. Basically, we just had to ask them their favorite ones, and then we could go ahead and stack rank. And so me being in the parks, I decided to give the interns a bit of a break. And my demographic that I chose to survey for the best John Rattenberger character bracket were folks in Nick Snacks, the uh, Pixar-themed store 
on Pixar Pier at the very top. It's across from the, the Lamplight Lounge that were shopping for Luca merch. Because let me tell you, not a whole lot of it, but there was a lot of people looking for it when really? we were at the parks. Oh, yeah. People were wanting their Lucas stuff. I think they're trying to get a little taste of summer here in the, in the middle of winter. Um, but they didn't have quite as much as we thought they would. Uh, obviously, it's probably because even in the Pixar spaces, they're replacing it with every Encanto piece of merch that they could ever produce. Um, but there's a lot of people looking for it that couldn't find it. And so I just looked for the confused folks and asked them who their favorite John Ratzenberger character was. And after explaining who John Ratzenberger was, they were very excited. And they gave me 16 fantastic answers. But of course, that means one did not miss the dance. And Chris, who do miss? So this is apparently an uncredited guy on the subway from Seoul. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't like try to track down this scene uh, in preparation for this. I just was kind of like, wow. I mean, this is monumental, sort of. You know, yeah. John Ratzenberger is this notorious Pixar uh, regular, and he got an uncredited guy on the subway. I, I would love to know, like, what the what the story behind that is, because he also was not in Luca, and I don't know if he's going to be in Turning Red or not. But mm, yeah, interesting. Interesting, interesting current status of their relationship. That's something that we got to look into. We got to dive in to see if there's any John Ratzenberger drama happening. It's a beef. At Pixar, there might be a little beef action going on. Ham's there, got we, some beef. Ham's got some beef. <laughs> and that brings us straight into what we need to do next, which is introduce the bracket of 16 best John Ratzenberger characters. Chris, let's go ahead and cue that dramatic music. And I'll let you lead us off. Bringing home the bacon in the top spot is the number one seed, Ham, from Toy Story, Toy Story 2, Toy Story 3, Toy Story 4, and all the other Toy Story things out there. Combusting at the two spot is P.T. Flea from A Bug's Life. Coming in at number three is the Snow Cone King himself, the Abominable Snowman. Asleep at the Wheel is the four seed, Mac from Cars. Cars 2, Cars 3, and all of the Cars shorts in between. Synchronized swimming into the 5 spot is the School of Fish from Finding Nemo. Rising from beneath to the 6 spot is the Underminer from Incredibles and Incredibles 2. Riding his hover chair into the 7 seed is your buddy John from Wally. -E. <laughs> Guarding the door and the 8 seed is Gordon from Brave. Riley Patch 2.0 has been installed by the number nine seed. It's Fritz from Inside Out. Making it through customs and into the 10 seed is Juan Ortodoncia from Coco. Doing his very best at the number 11 seed is Mustafa from Ratatouille. Causing a ruckus at the 12 spot is Construction Foreman Tom from Up. And yet another construction king, the number 13 seed, it's Fenwick from Onward. Getting some yard work done at the 14 spot is Husband Crab from Finding Dory. Blink and you'll miss the number 15 seed from The Good Dinosaur, it's Earl the Velociraptor. And our 16 seed is a victim of stolen identity, it's Bernard Tuskman from Monsters at Work series. Chels, I would say, you know... 
who do you think should have made it onto this bracket? I would say, you know, uh, do, do you think any others missed the dance? But we only have these 16, really. Uh, what do you think about the rankings? Does this match up to what you kind of imagined? Or do you think that some deserve to be a little higher than they are? Well, you always know my biases towards Cars and Wally, so I will always fight for those 100%. Mac is my man. Okay. But, All right. But uh, one thing, and this is just leads right into my Cars obsession, is uh, I'd like to make an honorable mention. Um, oh. One that, I don't know if you could classify this as something that missed the dance, but I think that we should give an honor, honorable mention to the uh, ending credit scene of Cars, where we see mac as cars like his different um uh, sorry his different characters throughout to uh toy story a bug's life oh. and monsters inc as cars it's um, like car versions of the john rats it's like john yeah. rats inception yeah exactly <laughs> and he, and then mac is reacting he, they're they're at they're at the they're, whoa, they're at the drive-in and he's reacting to all of these different characters and then he realizes oh wait it's all the same actor um and yeah i love that scene it's like one of my favorite um ending clips and yeah. um and i really, really loved how they also like they changed up the lines uh for each movie to fit like some sort of car theme um, <laughs> right so yeah so that one i think definitely deserves if not on the bracket then an honorable mention okay i like that In into the rats inverse <laughs> <laughs> I saw uh, Cars in theaters when I was, you know, 12 or whatever when that movie came out and I didn't even really I didn't even piece together the fact that John Ratzenberger was in every movie until that bit and I was like, right. "Oh my god, I am so <laughs> stupid." Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, great I'll... scene, great scene. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Well, Chris, it's probably time Let's go ahead. Let's let's start these discussions. Uh, we got the number one ham from Toy Story, then the entire Toy Story universe uh, versus the 16 seed Bernard Tuskman from Monsters at Work. Uh, I, I will go ahead and just let you start us off here. Sure. And like before we begin, um, I want to kind of talk about who is John Ratzenberger and and why John Ratzenberger? And uh, I really kind of was curious to to learn about this relationship because it doesn't seem super obvious. And I guess the story is that there's not really a story to it. It's like he, <laughs> he was ham in Toy Story and they really liked him and he was a really nice guy. And so they let him do all the movies because he was so chill. Yeah. Um, it's like the perfect example of just wanting to hire your buddies because they're good and you like them. Sure. And you can kind of tell that it became a running bit because every single movie, he got basically less and less of a part. And so they were just like, ah, oh, we, we need to get his voice in here. Here's a line. Here's a line for them to say. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. I like it a lot. And so... I. I kind of was trying to organize the John Ratzenberger appearances and John Ratzenberger characters into like multiple buckets, maybe okay. where you have, you have the, the straight up cameos, you know, like yep. one line, two lines, that's it. it. It's a joke. It's a literal joke. Oop. Did you notice that was John Ratzenberger? <laughs> and then you've got like the main characters, your hams, your max, um, your PT fleas. Um, and then you've got your, 
you're, you're, the ones that are somewhere in between, right? They're ones that there is sort of a character there, but that character is almost like John Ratzenberger himself. And I don't know like what either of your experience is like with this actor. My first introduction to him as a child was John Ratzenberger's Made in America on the Discovery Channel. I don't know if either of you are familiar with that show, but he I haven't used even to do, heard of it. Really? Yeah. Um, he he basically used to go around the country to various. Uh, a good example: uh, Louisville Slugger. He went okay. to the Louisville Slugger factory, and and they did like a tour, and they were teaching John Ratzenberger how they make these things. Ah. Um, it's called Made in America, so all these products were made in America. It was like very patriotic. It was post nine eleven, <laughs> obviously. So okay, everyone yep. was very into like America, and they chose John Ratzenberger. And so, cool. John Ratzenberger, basically, his claim to fame is Cheers. Uh, right. Cheers was a sitcom about a bar in Boston, and John Ratzenberger's character Cliff was a bar regular. Um, and he was a mailman. So he was a blue collar worker, obviously, <laughs> like being a mailman. And yep. his character, his character trait was that he was like a know-it-all. Um, and mm. he always had the fun facts and he always had the trivia. Um, and sometimes it was welcome and sometimes it was not welcome. And so I think that's why he ended up with that show that Got made it. in America with John Ratzenberger, because he's very like in the know. John okay. Ratzenberger. And, and if Makes you want to see like a, like a great scene, check out uh, Cliff Goes on Jeopardy. Cheers. <laughs> Type that okay. into YouTube and it's so funny. Um, I want to do a little shout out, a little flex to uh, one of my professors in college, Sherry Steinkellner, who was a, uh, one of the lead writers on Cheers. Oh. Um, and, and I did not appreciate it at the time and I'm so like upset at myself that I didn't like take it in when I was in her class and she was teaching like a improv for screenwriting class and it was so fun and she was so funny but she wrote on cheers like for years and she she was uh the creator of teacher's pet on the Disney channel no and, way and she wrote the book for the sister act musical working directly with Alan Menken himself. What? What? And I discovered this. You got to get her on the pod, dude. What are you doing? Start flexing these connections. (laughs) What the heck? UCSB (laughs) bagging the big shot. Wow. Wow. Um, Wow. So shout out to Sherry Stein Kilner, an absolute gem of a person. Um, Really the only thing I remember about her was that she was funny and she had a giant cell phone. Back when, when people still had like small cell phones, it was like right. the iPhone 4S or the 4G or whatever <laughs> it was called. And cell phones are trying to get small. She, she had like the first incarnation of like the Galaxy Note, which was like a, fa- they were calling it the phablet. <laughs> I was like, this lady's crazy with her phablet. Um, but phablet. She, is a, she is a talent and a gem. Um, so shout out to Cheers and Sherry Steinkiller and John Ratzenberger. And that's kind of like how I want to start this conversation. Um, Great. As we explore all of these different John Ratzenberger characters, that's kind of like the foundation um, for for how we know him. And yeah, like I love it. The diff the different types of character that he tends to play. So um, obviously, number one seed we got Ham. Yep. And Ham is one of many toys in Andy's room. 
Um, and they all have their little personality traits. And here we go. Ham is the know-it-all. The know-it-all. <laughs> he is the he is like the smarty pants, um, or at least he tries to position himself that way. We yep. see him doing things like uh, knowing how to work the remote control when, when no one else does. Uh, yep. We see him knowing how to put the batteries back inside of something. It was it Buzz. I can't remember. No, it was the the baby monitor that falls off the oh, bed. Yeah. yeah. We see him uh, knowing how to play the video game and teaching Rex how to do it. And when they go to Al's toy barn, Ham has cracked open the instruction manual uh, to try and uh, get some tips on the game. Yep. Ham is constantly like making those remarks to the other characters. Like, you're, you're an idiot. Like, you're stupid. Um, and like the icing on the cake for me is that he's the evil Dr. Porkchop. Yeah. Like of that course. is that is a perfect kind of character for him. He's he's like an evil genius, sort of. And um and that's something I like about Ham is he kind of walks that line between a uh, good guy and like not so good guy. Like you, obviously you never say Ham's like an anti-hero or anything like no. that, but he's got so, he's got some dude. This guy. He's like a he's like an over overly confident know-it-all, but pe- he's so personable that people still gravitate around him. Like the the toys don't hate him for being a know-it-all. They actually almost would probably prefer that he does take the control that he does. And you see it all the time in these films. And so I think that that kind of that snark and that know-it-allism yeah. is very John Ratzenberger, obviously with like his Cheers character, right? And so um, yeah, I think Ham is just, he's great. He's great. And, and Ham is also sort of like the straight man or the voice of reason in yes. the toy group as well. So he's always kind of providing that commentary where it's like, Oh, <laughs> you know, what's going on here? Like that yep. was really weird. Um, and so like, that's another kind of thing that I think was borrowed from Cliff, the cheers character that he's in the background and he's always ready with a barb. Uh, to to chime in on whatever absurd conversation is is happening uh, in this scene. So, totally. Ham is um definitely Ratzenberger to a T, but so many of these characters we know them as brief cameos. So like, compared to the field, is Ham kind of an anomaly? I think that's the conversation we'll have to explore as we get further in this bracket. He's going up against Bernard Tuskman. I had no idea who this was. I had to pull it up on his IMDb page and. Bernard Tuskman's a character from Monsters at Work. And uh, so I was like, all right, I don't know like where all these Monsters at Work scenes are. So first step, I'm going to type into YouTube Bernard Tuskman and see what pops up. And this is the top result. All right. This is the title of the video for the top result for Bernard Tuskman. Can't wait. Can't wait. Tyler Tuskman, who is a Monsters, U, or a Monsters at Work character. I think he's one of the main characters on the show. Tyler Tuskman being hot and adorable for six minutes straight. <laughs> season one edition. Uh, oh, uploaded no. uploaded by user semi-goth Pixar queen. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. And not only is the title uh, ridiculous, but this, this is footage that was recorded by semi-goth Pixar queen directly like from her laptop it was like she was playing it on her laptop and filmed it from her phone Um, oh no i have to respect the thirst trap 
though. Like I have to. Um, We're just adding to the list of thirst trap characters now. I mean, Tyler Tuskman's got that triangular upper body, that Tony the Tiger build, tiny legs, broad shoulders, you know? Yeah, sure, Uh, sure. I can see it. I can see it. Big Big horns. horns. (laughs) Big unibrow. You know what big unibrow means? Big testosterone. This this man doesn't has have a nose, but you know what? It's all no. right. It's all right. Uh, so I, I ended up having to like scrub through the episodes um, to find Bernard Tuskman, and I actually ended up watching both episodes of Monsters at Work, yeah, and they same. weren't they weren't bad. I was fairly surprised at how much I enjoyed them. They did feel like they were like children's media. So yep. I don't think I would like watch the show regularly, but I was like, oh, this is like something I would show my kids for sure. Um, it's, it's fairly funny. And so <clears throat> there's an episode where Tyler Tuskman um, ends up trying to rescue uh, the abominable snowman, who you will talk about later, yep. from his, from his uh, exile. What do they call it? Banishment? His banishment. Exile? Yeah. And so Tyler's sneaking the abominable snowman around uh, Monsters, Inc., and keeps like, oh, this is my dad. But then Bernard Tuskman, his real dad, ends up showing up to yep. deliver Tyler's lunchbox to him. And there's a scene where T- Bernard Tuskman is talking to the abominable snowman. And it's literally <laughs> John Ratzenberger talking to himself, like yep. <laughs> exchanging dialogue with himself. Um, and that was just a great little like Easter egg for uh, all of us grown up Pixar fans. So Bernard Tuskman did, I mean, he only has a few lines. Um, so he's definitely not going to advance here over Ham. But I appreciated the gag. And his, uh, his appearance was, was very Ratzenberger-ish. Ratzenberg-y. He had the yeah. mustache. Oh. He had that kind of blue-collar attitude. Um, and he obviously had the voice to match. Um, going with Ham for sure. But uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed this particular character. Yeah, I I'm also gonna go with Ham. I think that Bernard Tuskman, that moment was just so good. Also, Monsters at Work. I watched the first episode and I was like, no, nope, nope, mm-mm, not gonna watch the rest of it. And the I will say the first one's a little difficult to get through. They're doing a lot of introductory stuff. It is very slow paced comparative comparatively to like Monsters Inc. But Watching this episode about the abominable snowman and seeing Bernard show up, that was a, I thought that was a great episode. There's a lot of great jokes in it. We'll dive further into it when we get to the abominable snowman because I kind of want to talk about that episode. I have some things that I want to happen oh, out of me that too. episode. Me too. Um, okay, good. Uh, but Chels, any surprise here that we decided to go with Ham and not Bernard? No, not, especially considering there's other Monsters, Inc. at play here within the bracket. Like, it just makes most sense in comparison. Like, n- Bernard does not team up against Ham in any way. Yeah. Um. One thing, just as you guys were talking about the show, like, I was a little skeptical of the show myself. I was super excited about it. And then watching the first couple episodes, I'm like, this isn't Pixar. Like, this doesn't feel like Pixar. It felt like someone else doing using yeah. Pixar characters and then I was noticing that in the credits it's like Disney presents and then I'm like yep. oh so it's Disney animation yep like That's it's exactly not exactly what it is Pixar and it, and you for me I like noticed noticed that immediately I was like this does not feel like Pixar um so I think the the show 
we have such high expectations with Pixar, um, anything that they do. So then when we saw the show, I was like, mm, yeah, didn't quite fit. Um, and then in, in terms of Ham, his character is like, you know, those people that you, they're like super type A and they're, they're know-it-alls and they're loud and they're obnoxious. And like, if they had a really crappy personality, they would not be liked in the friend group, but it's because they're funny that yep. they are completely, they are given a complete pass because like they're an absolute, they're too much, but because they are funny, then you, you, you still like them and you get a pass. I think that's, that's ham. Yeah, sure. I can see that. Uh, he's definitely kind of like the cool kid of the group. It feels like, and you always want to be associated with the cool kid of the group. Well, especially he's the, if you're so he's the kid that thinks he's the coolest. Sure. Okay. Well, I'll <laughs> challenge you. I think he's pretty cool myself, but uh, we'll get into that next time we talk about him. Ooh. Let's uh, let's move on to this next matchup. It's number eight, Gordon from Brave versus number nine, Fritz from Inside Out. Gordon is a like a like a a guardsman, a guard for Merida's family. Um, he has really just a line. And it's when he's introducing the princes that are coming to court Merida. And this whole film takes place in Scotland. So what do we have? We have John Ratzenberger doing a very poor accent. And he will, he will return with the poor accents later in this bracket. <laughs> but this one particularly was fairly funny. He says, my lord. And I was like, no, nope, we can't this no. no make make john the bear or something i don't i don't want him speaking in this accent anymore and then he becomes kind of like a background character after that that's really yeah. his character's line is to introduce and then he gets like slammed by the door uh, and that's his cameo moment uh the rest of the time his character is joining with the mob that is trying to kill this bear that ends up being merida's mother and then also mordo at the very end, uh, but he gets swiped away. So don't know too much about Gordon other than he's just part of like the kingdom's staff and he guards the door. He's up against uh, number nine, Fritz, who is another cameo character. Fritz is a basically a yet another construction worker. Once Riley has her moment and comes back into, she, she comes of age, she has to have a new feelings board uh control panel because now she's going through puberty so fritz is this worker that has helped construct this new mood board so to speak for uh joy and everyone to use and includes a new button but what's different about his character than maybe some of the other construction workers is that he is fed up with work he he basically is just like, ah, oh, yeah, here you go. And then he leaves the screen. That's his cameo. And he's looks like he's he's been doing this for a while. He looks a little weathered. He looks over it. And that's his cameo. I think that that kind of it's not snarky, but it's him going through the motions is also a character trait of some of these other ones, including like. Ham can get that way too, where he's just kind of like over it. He's over everybody. He takes, in, in Ham's situation, he takes control. We don't get enough out of Fritz to know that, but he seems kind of like the leader of these construction folks if he's telling 
joy in the rest of them that this thing is done. He kind of profiles almost closer to like a PT flea type who is like completely over it all of the time. So when we get introduced to PT flea, like that's his character is just being completely over it and the folks that he's working with. I get that a little bit from Fritz. So just because of that, just because I can compare Fritz a little bit better to other characters than Gordon, who really only has that one line cameo, I'm going to go with the 9-8 upset here. Doesn't Fritz have the mustache as well? Yes, he does. And like that's like that's the Ratzenberger tell is like and, he's and Gordon got the does mustache. too. Oh it's yeah, like a it's longer like, one. Yeah, it's a it's a more bravey mustache. Um, right. It's interesting what you said about him being a background character, and that is kind of one of the more interesting things about animation that I didn't really think about until we started looking at these Ratzenberger characters, specifically in the case of Mustafa, which we'll talk about at the very end of this episode. Like. John Ratzenberger can record 30 seconds of dialogue, but his character can be in the whole movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. so it's like, it, it feels like he is in the whole movie, but he's not. He, he, he could have come in there and recorded four movies worth of dialogue at yeah. one time <laughs> yeah. and then got out of there. So it's just, I mean, even when you think about other non-Pixar, non-Ratzenberger characters, like Kristoff in Frozen 1, you know, like... It's yeah. an ensemble and everyone's kind of like walking around and certain characters are in the background. Um, and these actors, like they don't see the whole movie until the very end or even sure. the scene or even sometimes the scene that they're in. Yeah. Uh, like it's just wireframe or photos. And it's like, uh, it's, it's wild to think that uh, they have to approach it like that that like i'm just giving the sound bite and it's going to come to life later and we'll exactly. see so no gordon um i don't know why he's an eight seed like he's like i would i would put him at 16 to be to be honest maybe sure. 15 15 or 16 uh i don't really see him being very rottenberger like or even serving much of a purpose in the story not super memorable um this is like one of those true cameos uh, like you said, Fritz feels more Ratzenbergery for sure. So I'm agreeing with you. Chels, do you agree with us? It's funny because these movies play such interesting roles in my like in my own personal bracket of favorite Pixar films that I have a with Brave, it should be one of like my, my favorites because she's a ginger powerhouse. Um <laughs> but I have this huge phobia for movies with bears in it um because typically the movies that center around bears completely are just too sad and too overwhelming for me bears and horses like i just can't do it so i've seen brave but i've seen it one time and it was too much and so i just i kind of avoid it i just i think like the the main character obviously is merida's you know the queen but um, the movie itself, like I, because I've only seen it once, it like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have probably even caught the the John Ratzenberger yeah. uh. like cameo, um, because I saw it when it first came out and I haven't seen it since, which is terrible. But it's just because I just I'm weird and have this like bear phobia. Any move, any animated or or real life. I mean, but I don't really know what other real life bear movies you'd be watching, but. And then with Inside Out, that's another movie where when I first saw it, didn't like it. Then gave it another try and loved it. 
then watched it mm. again thinking I was going to love it again. And I was like, meh, I actually don't like it as much. I literally flip flop all the time. But his character, Fritz, the character was most memorable in terms of the two. If yeah. you're looking at Brave versus Insane. Sure. So I would agree with you guys. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, where does that stand on your bear rankings? Oh, okay. So, okay. I guess I shouldn't say that. He's, nothing happens to, <laughs> although he's, it's sad. I mean, we, in, in the last, uh, episode I was on, we were talking about Christopher Robin and the absolute yep. heart wrench of a movie it is. And yeah. <laughs> so I think the phobia still lives, but he is my he's my exception to the rule. Uh, I don't want to okay. like okay. keep forcing you to to revisit your your bear trauma here. Um, <laughs> but how about brother bear? Are we out on brother bear? No. <laughs> A living Absolutely hell. Absolutely not. <laughs> that is the movie that scarred me. Okay. Actually. Okay. How about um, how about so. um, how about Country Bears, starring Christopher Walken? <laughs> <laughs> so probably I've definitely seen it like back in the day. But funny enough, the ride itself has this funny memory with my oh. family because we went. Um, this is when we were all really young. Um, my siblings and I. And my sister, she got tired of waiting. Mm-hmm. My, she, so she's the middle child. I'm the oldest and she's the middle and my brother's the youngest. And she just got tired of waiting. So she just decided to just run, take off, hop the hop through the line and was like, no, I'm going, nope. to, I'm going to see the country bears. And so, and my dad <laughs> nope. had to tear through and there was big people trying to like block him going, you can't go. And he's like, I'm freaking going. My daughter just took off. So that one has an interesting, and then there was some person that was like trying with a stroller, like a mother with a stroller and she was like trying to block. Anyways, it was a huge mess. Um, so yeah, bears just, they don't fly with me. But what's funny <laughs> is that one of my nicknames that my boyfriend has come up with me over the, the many years is Chell Bear. So there is some sort of hmm. like endearment to bears, but just only in very certain circumstances. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Sounds triggering. Blink twice if you need help. <laughs> we'll, we'll come we'll, get you. We'll be sure to uh, to hold off asking you to help us out on the best Disney bear and best Disney horse uh, brackets <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Spirit? No. That was it for me for horses. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yep. All right. I, let's I move on it. to the next matchup. Uh, let's talk about something Chelsea does like, and that's cars. So we're talking about the number four seed Mac from Cars and the Cars verse uh, versus number 13 Fenwick from Onward. Uh, Fenwick is another one of those ones that's just very quick. Um, he is a construction worker, which I suppose is is quite Ratzenbergery. We have a few of those on this bracket. Um, and totally. he sees Barley walking up to the fountain to place the little um, talisman into it to, that eventually releases the curse, the onward curse. I'm so bad at remembering this movie cause I don't like it very much and I refuse to watch it in its entirety. But, uh, <laughs> but, but Fenwick, the construction worker sees Barley doing this and he's like, Hey bro, like you can't do that. Come back here and kind of grabs him and, and that's it. Uh, it really feels like a true cameo again. Yep. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, but it is a construction worker, and I think he might have a mustache also. Yes, he does. Okay. He he literally looks like the monster version of the construction worker from Up that Ratzenberger also plays. Ah, 
Just he's one-eyed yeah. in the onward universe. But anyways, that's that's what I'll add to it. Go ahead. Let's talk about Max. So okay, so what so how can we how can we unpack this? Did is the curse that they release in the onward universe, does it make all of the mythical creatures human like? So Ooh. up is post onward, or uh did something terrible happen in the up universe that made everyone uh into uh monsters and Fenwick is a direct descendant of Construction Foreman Tom. Maybe in between up and onward is Wally. Interesting. Interesting. Um and okay. out of the ashes of humanity, the experiment with the boot plant did not work. Um and the humans died <laughs> off. Okay. And then year, years later the mythical beasts rose up. Wow. I like that. Yeah. And canon. and so Fenwick Fenwick is like a long lost descendant of construction foreman Tom. <laughs> Boom. You figured Pixar it out. Theory. You figured it out. Um, all right. So Mac, everybody knows Mac. Yep. Mac's a big Mac's a big truck. <laughs> um and it's it's sort of a pun because Mac is a type of truck or a brand of truck. Or something. Yep, I don't know I enough don't know. about trucks. Not a truck guy, so don't know. Mac truck. Um, Mac is one of Lightning McQueen's best friends in that he's like the the number two guy. He helps him out, um, transporting him across country um, to, to do the piston cup. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, Mac is the one who falls asleep while he's driving, and that's why they end up in Radiator Springs. Sure is. He falls asleep the underglow racer cars show up the speed racers and they startle oh, him yeah. and his tailgate drops down and out goes lightning spinning into traffic and he ends up finding radiator springs i mean truck driver in my opinion that's like as blue collar as it comes <laughs> driving trucks across the united states of america totally <laughs> like not only a very like physically intense sort of profession where you're having to spend days on end inside the cabin of a truck. Yep. Uh, but you're also seeing the country along the way. Uh, you're traveling to places that most people will never go in their whole lives. Uh, and so I think when we think about John Ratzenberger as a blue collar worker, um, Mac is, is near the top when it comes to that, even though like he is a anthropomorphic truck, <laughs> uh, he, he is still like a transporter of sorts. He reminds like me, that is his profession. He reminds me of like a more optimistic, happy from the like Marvel universe. Like happy is the, oh, is yeah. like Iron Man's right hand man and turns into like Spider-Man's right hand man and all that stuff. Mac profiles similarly where he's like always showing up at the right time to help his hero friend is willing to do anything to help that hero friend taking on different job responsibilities. You have Mac who turns into the pit crew uh, dude in the first movie. Uh, he's helping disguise lightning in Cars 3 when lightning wants to go race in the dirt derby track. And he's, he, you know, schemes up the plan to have lightning covered in mud. Uh, he feels very happy-ish. Just happy is yeah. a little bit more cynical about his job and his right. situation than Mac is. And I think that's appropriate for, for John Ratzenberger. I agree. Um, yeah. and, and appropriate for John Favreau as well in the case of Happy. But yeah. um, Mac <laughs> seems like a genuinely good guy. Like on the level of Nigel the Pelican. I kind of Ooh. like see those two characters in very similar ways. They're just like very helpful. 
and very pure of heart. I like it. Uh, and and Mac might not be as like intelligent as uh, Nigel, but he definitely uh, has that sense of goodness about him. Uh, I I get weird. Um, who do you know here, bro? Vibe from Fenwick. So uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna advance Mac because he he feels uh, quite Ratzenbergery to me. Even though to be Ratzenbergery is also fifty percent one line cameos, Mac profile is a little bit more similar to what we know as Ratzenberger in that it's this well-developed character that has a quirk. Often it can be, you know, happy-go-lucky. We see that very often in all of this, especially with somebody like John and Wally. Like that's another similar Matt character where once John's awakened to the world, he takes on this kind of as I just said, happy-go-lucky personality. But he also, Max still has a little bit of that like wannabe cleverness or confidence that a ham-type character has. He's He goes for a lot of, of puns and jokes in this. And unfortunately, unfortunately, Max gives us a C-3PO reference oh, in the no. first Cars movie. When Mac relocates Lightning McQueen and Radiator Springs, he drives up and he says, thank the manufacturer, you're alive. And that is a direct reference to C-3PO who always says, thank the maker, you're alive. And I hate it because I hate C-3PO. However, it is, I don't hate it enough to not pass him on. So I agree with you, Mac is moving into the next round. Chelsea, I'm sure you're relieved because Mac is your boy. Yep, I would have. I if you guys had gone the other way, I would have completely surpassed it. Told you, no. Here's the golden ticket. My pick goes through. Um, yeah, I love Max so much. Um, and it's interesting too because, like you said, that you know, another very John Ratzenberger thing is the fact that he has these one-line cameos. But like, it is kind of hard to compare a character that has that builds a lot of personality over the course of three different movies plus whatever other short films um, in comparison to this one, um, you know, off character in Onward. So um, I'm excited to see Mac go through and I'm going to keep, I'm going to push for you, buddy. (laughs) All right. This next round matchup is the number five fish school from finding Nemo versus the number 12 construction foreman, Tom from up. Here he is, once again, a mustached construction worker that profiles very similar to a, a Mac, a, a, a abominable snowman that feels like they're trying to be helpful and, and are maybe a little too overly optimistic. Carl has just, we've just gotten through what should have been the entire Pixar short in Ellie's death, but the movie continues on and we see Carl sitting on his front porch comes to get the mail. He has an interaction with the construction worker, Tom, who is trying to convince Carl, like, you know, you should probably just sell your house and cash out, baby, because these developers are are here to to pay and you can get on out of here and live a good life. And Carl doesn't want to let that up. And so he steals Tom's blowhorn and, and you know, Pixar Lee cusses out the the men in suit who are trying to develop the area around Carl's house. And he walks away and we get the classic kind of raspy Ratzenberger voice where he's like, I'll take that as a maybe. 
And that's what I really like about Ratzenberger's voice is that he does give me a little bit of that rasp when he yells. It's a very distinct yell. And you get it basically throughout the entire film of A Bug's Life. And we'll dive into that (laughs) a little bit. But I love his yell and his just when he gives me that energy, baby, I love it. I feel like I'm watching a Pixar movie when I hear John Ratzenberger yell. So I like that about this cameo. More than one line. You kind of get the sense of the personality of this construction worker, uh, but it's still just not too much. It's up against the fish school and fish school is just ham (laughs) in fish form. Like, and that's what I, and it feels so Ratzenberger where they're trying to be helpful, a bit of a know-it-all, overly confident and ripping jokes the entire time. Sure. Dude, I love it. Out of everything in Finding Nemo, besides the opening uh, scene and besides the score, something that always comes to mind when I think of this film is the scene with the school of fish. I, it's just a, a great funny moment in the middle of the film. I want to dive into it further, but I don't want to waste all my energy on it in this first episode. I kind of want to talk about it in the next one. And I have a feeling that it's going to move on. So I'm going to go ahead and pass on the school of fish. Uh, through into the next round. I, I'm not like you in that I remember this character and this scene when I, when I think about Finding Nemo. In my head, he goes from the reef to Bruce to the EAC to the jellyfish to Sydney. Like, that's kind yeah. of the, the... He goes to so many other little things in between that like I forget, but... Mm, um, okay. I had to kind of be like, oh yeah, he, he, he is those fish. That's right. And then I, I kind of remembered it, you know? Um, yep. but, uh, but you're right. He is very ham. Like, and I had never made that connection. Um, that is, that's pretty funny. Uh, construction foreman, Tom, uh, it's interesting because he is sort of egging on Carl and, um, yep. He he works for the bad guy, so he's kind of a minion of sorts. But right. but but the Ratzenberger manages to make him feel like not such a bad guy, kind of like you were saying. Mm-hmm. He's like trying to help him out, be like, "Hey, baby, cash out." Like it's all good, man. Um, yep. And like that's the Ratzenberger effect, just like a just a a pure goodness. Um, and, and it's going to do a 180 when we talk about PT flea, but, uh, <laughs> I'm with you on the, on the school of fish. I was in stitches when I revisited this scene. It was so funny. So, uh, finding Nemo fish school moving on Chelsea, you agree? Oh yeah. hundred percent. What I find funny though, is that comparing both of your memories of this scene, it's one of those where I'm like, Chris, right. It's not something that I think about, like or remember as a sequence, if I'm thinking of the sequence of the movie, it's not one that pops into mind, but it's one of those super pleasurable ones that like when you're watching the movie and it, and you see it, you're like, Oh yeah, I forgot this was there. Mm. And it's just like, Oh cool. I love this scene. Um, so it's one of those like ones that kind of pops in and surprises you. It doesn't stick in your brain, at least in mine, but it does. It's like a nice, it's a solid, like, John Ratzenberger cameo that you were just you were just waiting for and now and then and then it just satisfied the rest of the movie so uh yeah it's a good one to move on 
All right, let's hop over to the other side. We've got number two, P.T. Flea versus Bug Life versus number 15, Earl. Um, uh, yeah, baby. I, I, P.T. Flea. I, oh, man. <laughs> I, 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 I want to talk about it a lot, but also, like, this is one of, like, the biggest mismatches in Mouse Madness history right here. I think, I think you're right. Because P.T. Flea is uh, an American icon. Uh, PT, hey, put him on the flag. PT, please. New national anthem. National treasure, this man. <laughs> um, I mean, his energy might even encapsulate what it means to be an American in 2022. Just pissed <laughs> off and wanting the money. Yeah, very well could be. Um, Bugs Life continues to be underrated. Um, and Dude. continues to be unfairly forgotten, oh, both by Dude. Pixar, the company, and the Pixar fans, and the general population of humans. Um, it's insane how good this film is. When I, we only, I mean, I only went back and watched the scenes in which P.T. Flea appears, but the entire time I was like, damn, I should just really watch this right now. I should just put this on because it is so good. The stick bug guy, when he's like, I can't go out, they'll only laugh at me. That's because you're a clown. <laughs> uh, gets me. Uh, it gets me every time. Um, yeah, and the whole like flaming death fail. Oh, it's so funny. Um, and there's something funny about P.T. Flea's stature um, and yep. like the way that he moves about, uh, jumpy like a flea that. All just makes it so funny and you want, I don't know if any of you have these people in your real lives, but I definitely have a friend where like you purposefully tried to make him mad because it is so <laughs> funny when you make them mad. Uh, definitely did in high school. I can tell you that. Uh, and PT Flea is like one of those characters. It's like, I want to see him mad because it's, it's just great. Uh, yeah. Earl is a velociraptor and he is there and he is gone. Um, I don't even really remember the full context of the scene. Uh, Arlo and uh, Donnie. C- cave boy. Cave boy. Yeah, Donnie Thorn- Thornberry. <laughs> Donnie Thornberry. Uh, Wap- Who is played by Flea from the uh, Red, Red Hot, Hot Chili, Chili Peppers. So now well, here we are. Uh, <laughs> like Donnie the kid in Wild Thornberries is played by Flea. Donnie looks like this kid in Good Dinosaur. We're going to call him Donnie. Therefore, it's a flea versus flea matchup. Well, flea also plays this kid? No. Okay. I'm saying that he lo- he looks like the the kid that he does play. Though. Got it. Got it. Well, um, <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers were in uh, California screaming at one point, right? Yes, they were. So there's a connection. And, and, and there's, Space there's Mountain. A, there's a connection there, I guess. <laughs> um. But basically, they, they're like on a termite hill or an ant hill or something, and some like wildebeests are in the area, and these velociraptors they're, are like, this is our they're trying to They're trying to get through this field of like yaks or mammoth yaks. And so Arlo stands on top of a rock, and he's going to roar to scare them away, but he can't actually roar. So Donnie bites his leg, and he screams which then brings the velociraptors up to the rock to try and eat him and the kid. And one of the velociraptors is like, you know what we do to trespassers? And then it cuts to Earl, John Ratzenberger's character, and he says, we eat them! And then he gets eaten by 
something else. He gets t- thrown across the field by the T-Rex that comes and saves Arlo and Donnie lookalike. He gets yeeted. Um, like I said, this is an insane mismatch. Uh, PT Flea without question and without conversation. I'm so glad that you brought up the uh, that's because you're a clown line because that had me laughing so hard every <laughs> single time. Like, I know it's coming. I, I'm ready for it. And I laugh out loud every single time. And my favorite thing about PT Flea is that I relate heavily because it feels like he's just kind of hanging on by a thread the entire time he's on screen. And that's how I feel in this pandemic, just kind of hanging on by a thread. So it's even better to watch PT Flea in 2022 because you're like, you know what? He's kind of right. He kind of works with some, some idiots. <laughs> he kind of has to put up with a lot here. And uh, I, I, I just love this character. We'll talk about his Ratzenbergerness in the next round. He has enough of it. He has the Ratzenberger rasp, and that's all he needs in this matchup to move on. Uh, Chels, Bugs Life, PT Flea, is this the right choice? Absolutely. Not only does he play one of my, when I bring up the the Cars credit scenes, one of my favorite bits, um, but it's also just the, the like, the roughness of his character is, I think, like what we all wish we could just do and say out loud all the time, um, yep. especially at work. Like when you're working with those people that you're just like, he, he just emulates that vibe that you just wish that you could all the time. And I think in some regards, because of like the pandemic, a lot of people are just saying, screw it. I'm a I'm a B like P.T. Flea. <laughs> do you know what, dude? Just be like PT, all right? WWPTD. <laughs> New stickers coming to you very soon. All right, let's move on to this next matchup. It's the number seven, John from Wally versus the number 10, Juan from Coco. John V. Juan. Johnny Vaughn. All right, so here we go. It's John is one of the, the dudes on the ship that has left Earth 3,000 years ago waiting for life to return to it uh, so that the what the axiom, the axiom which is yeah. the ship can return and bring all these folks there wally runs into john quite literally makes john run into him as john is trying to get a new soda floating around in his little floating capsule watching tv and he's like hey robot i need another soda but wally's not from this so he can't help him so john falls out of his little chair and he ends up Later on, also basically falling out of his chair where he crashes into uh, a woman and they kind of have their worlds reopened because now screens aren't in front of their faces and they end up hanging out for the rest of the movie, basically. Uh, he has the the wonderful, it's your buddy John line hey, when, buddy John. <laughs> when he sees... <laughs> Wally and Eve dancing outside uh, during the space dance. But John really profiles is kind of like the another happy-go-lucky type, but also almost like the everyday guy. Like he is what he is what the audience, he is who the audience would act like if the audience were in his situation. Right. Kind of having this reawakening moment on the axiom. These are the things that we would do. We would be a little bit rebellious because we know everyone else is locked in. So when we go splashing in the pool, I'm going to splash the robot lifeguard who then <laughs> malfunctions. 
right? A little rambunctious, a little, a little bit living on the edge, but happy go lucky at the same time. He's enjoying his life. He's having a good time and making good out of the situation that he's in is similar to what the abominable snowman is doing. Who's living his best life despite being banished and having this new outlook on it. Now that he has gotten over the fact that he's no longer locked up or, or, you know, away from everybody else, I guess I can say. So I really like John. Uh, he plays a good part. It's the human aspect of the most human aspect we really get out of Wally besides the captain in an auto battle. At the very end, John goes a rolling. He adopts like 8,000 kids because <laughs> they come sliding. And, and that's, that's our buddy John, man. We love him. Uh, he's up against Juan, who is walking through customs. Juan is the character that after Miguel and his family walk over the Marigold Bridge, we see the kind of custom scene and they got to set the setting for us. And so we see families going through and the customs agents say like, yep, your family has you on the ofrenda. Here you go. You can go through. And Juan is one of them. And Juan has a full mouth of silver teeth, like capped teeth. And the lady at the custom says like, ah, yep, you're on your dentist, Afrenda. And that's a nice little joke. And he says, gracias. And he moves on. He says, gracias. Yeah. (laughs) And that's John Ratzenberger. And honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you that was John Ratzenberger if he Mm -hmm. was not credited. Like there's, it's, him as a cameo, it's him doing somewhat, somewhat of an accent. It's I didn't, I didn't get a, that at all, honestly. Okay. Uh, I think the like him doing the teeth thing overshadowed any accent that oh, yeah. might be no. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I agree, but I think it's still, still just him doing an accent. Him having this kind of voice altering impediment as he speaks, mm-hmm. which makes it way less Ratzenberger than any of the other characters. Right. That's right. what I'm getting at. Gotcha. So just because of that, I'm moving on, John, because you don't even know that that's Ratzenberger, and that's not Ratzenberger of him to do that. You you know a John Ratzenberger character because he has the same voice <laughs> for no matter what character he plays, and when he changes it like this, it just doesn't feel like a, a true cameo or a true character appearance. So number seven, John's moving on. Kyle, if, if P.T. Flea is you in 2022... Uh, John on the Axiom is me in 2022. <laughs> I'm uh, happy for you. For I'm, that, man. Co- I'm constantly Good. in a semi reclined position. Uh, I'm drinking <laughs> way too much Diet Coke. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm only communicating with other people through my Zoom screen, and um, <laughs> I only really move my arms around all day long. Fair. I mean, even my chair right now is on casters, like it is floating around <laughs> my dining room as I'm doing this podcast. Uh, and I really could definitely uh, touch grass. I could benefit from touching some grass, sure. <laughs> so to speak. And John is the person touching grass in Wally. And, and I love that about him. Also, Kyle, you've seen me save a baby. You see me save I, baby in real life. At I least have once. in my notes. I was gonna bring it up part two, but he. Uh, this is a Chris type here. It's saving babies like Chris saves babies at Disneyland. If PT flees your spirit animal, John on the Axiom is mine, uh, and that's it. why I gotta advance him over Juan Ortodoncia. Uh, Chelsea, do you agree with us moving John on here? Yep. I mean, so far we're all on the same page with this, and I mean, I probably pass on anyone with within the Wally universe so <laughs> it's a pretty okay. easy one for me 
All right. Well, I mean, I think we're going to have somewhat of a tougher one here. Uh, finally, we have our first <laughs> matchup that I think could definitely go either way. We've got oh. the number three Abominable Snowman from Monsters, Inc., Monsters U, and Monsters at Work, uh, later known as Adorable. Uh, that is like his new character name. Uh, number 14, Husband Crab in Finding Dory is, is the abominable <laughs> snowman's opponent. Now, Finding Dory is a movie that I don't think is particularly good. It's not good. Um, so I, I did not remember this wow. character, and I went back <laughs> and watched good. it, and I was like, dude, this little guy is pretty funny, man. Yeah, and like this great. scene is pretty funny. It's he's like great. Dory goes back to the site of her little like home town or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and there is a couple little crabs in place of where <laughs> she grew up and there's a lady crab and a man crab and the lady crab's like, Oh honey, like, are you lost? And the, and the husband crab, John Ratzenberger is just mowing his grass. He's just like, <laughs> the, like he's the, just like, trimming, the, sea- on, on <laughs> trimming the, the seaweed with his claws. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure he has a tiny crab mustache. I don't know. I can't really yeah, tell. I'm pretty sure but he I'm does. Gonna say he's there. Um, but it's like that classic, you know, John Ratzenberger gender dynamic where the lady's like, "Oh dear, do you need any help? Oh, hun, do you know where they sent all the blue tangs?" And John Ratzenberger's like, "Oh well, but I don't really know. Like, yeah, oh, maybe they went down the <laughs> pipe that way." Um, and he does have some voice distortion, um, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's not qu- not quite the same. But that's kind of the joke, um, right. is that he's a, he's a little small boy. Yep. And his inflections are kept the same. It's not like right. with Juan and it's not like with Gordon where he is really selling either the accent or the impediment. But here it's like John speaking, but they turn the pitch up a little bit so that he sounds like he's small. Um, and he's a fun he's a fun little character in Finding Dory. Uh, Abominable Snowman. Oh, so Mike and Sully get banished to the Himalayas <laughs> in uh, in Monsters Inc. Yeah, so uh, the Abominable Snowman shows up and takes Mike and Sully in, and uh, basically, like that's it. <laughs> um, he doesn't do a whole lot in Monsters Inc. He's got the snow cones. That's like his his little gimmick. Uh, they're lemon snow cones and I was today years old, uh, when I believed that they really were lemon snow cones. Um, I was under the impression that they were piss snow cones. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know why I remembered it in my head that when Mike and Sully go like speeding past abominable in the little sled that he's like pissing onto the snow cone tray. Right. I don't know why I remembered it like that, but I had to like pause it and be like, oh, he's literally just walking back up the hill with regular white snow cones. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in the background of the scene, you see there are some crates that Abominable has acquired, and one of them says lingonberry on it, which is a flavor of snow cone that he ends up serving in Monsters at Work. So, right. um. It was legit. The, 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 the lemon snow cones were legit. Yeah. Thank you. Um, That's such <laughs> a funny thing, like anecdote from you, though, because until you just said that, 
I didn't even think that he was like pissing onto the snow cones when they rushed back down the hill past him. But I can see why you thought that because his like back is turned right, to them and right. then he swivels around. I could see why you would think that, but that's so funny. <laughs> and I just, I always chalked it up to him kind of like having cabin fever and like not sure. really having a very good like social compass because he's been out of the game for so long. Um, but he has one, the, the funniest line in Monsters Inc. Uh, that comes from Abominable is when he's like, yeah, sure. There's all kinds of kids here. Strong kids, sissy <laughs> kids, kids who climb on rocks. Yeah. <laughs> just like a weirdly specific observation. Uh, so then we see Abominable again in Monsters U. It's kind of like the origin story of, of Mike and Sully. Um, and this is pre-banishment Abominable, Abominable. And we never really, I think, asked ourselves the question of like, how did Abominable get banished? I certainly never really like needed to know. And yeah. it was kind of like a fun thing to just think about. Like, oh, I don't know. He just got banished one day and... That's why he exists in the real world. Like, that was the joke. The joke was that, like, these real world monsters we have were at one time members of Monsters Inc. or employees right. of Monsters Inc. So I didn't really have to do that world building, or I didn't really need that world building. But Monsters U goes ahead and does it. Um, at the end of the movie, Abominable is walking past the camera with an envelope. And turns out Abominable is the manager of the mailroom at Monsters Inc. <laughs> and he says the line, like, don't tamper with the mail. That's grounds for banishment or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and then like the movie like ends immediately or something. And you go, oh, I guess that was the like hint that that's probably what he got banished for. Um, and then they, they go even further. And then <laughs> and you Monsters watch at Monsters work. at Work. <laughs> Monsters at Work like continues this thread that like never even had to be started. Um, yep. And they and it's like a major plot point in the episode that is all about unbanishing Abominable and bringing him back into Monsters, Inc. to be a snow cone salesman um, mm -hmm. and being renamed Adorable. And it turns out Abominable was uh, working in the mailroom and he somehow found a correspondence that revealed Mr. Waternoose's uh, scream extractor technology. Um, and because Abominable found out he was banished um, and it was like an unfair banishment. Right. Uh, which I don't need any of that <laughs> to be honest. Like I don't need any of that monsters Inc. lore does not matter to me in the slightest. I mean, in a way it was kind of fun to like use your imagination, I think. Yeah. And I also kind of makes, the first film a little bit more strange that there wasn't more like reconnecting if Mike and Sully knew Abominable from them him being their first boss then why was the interaction in the banishment land so much more awkward and wasn't more of a reunion in which they're like we will bring you back because Waternoose is you know being sketch and if we extrapolate that timeline uh, the banishment must not have happened long before Mike and Sully were also banished. You know, right. like it might have only been a matter of weeks or months because this scream extractor is like a new thing. So, right. Um, and it, they it's, hint it's weird. In... It's like you'd think that Abominable would say something like, 
God damn that bastard water noose and and the scream yes. extractor and I was set up like go back there and tell him you know like he seemed way too chill like oh yeah I'm banished like it is what it is like I'm eating snow cones and chill Himalayas and, is great and we find out that monsters at work only takes place weeks if not months after monsters inc because there's a yes. a moment in which he like tells mike and sully that we, i haven't seen you forever and they're like it's been six weeks since we last saw you <laughs> right which right. is like then why didn't you go back and get him right like if you've restored order to monsters inc and and gotten rid of corruption why wouldn't you go back and make that better so yeah i it i it didn't answer a ton of questions that we may have had but it caused more than we needed if that makes any sense i mean well and then it begs the question like well what about bigfoot what about nessie what about the unicorns like i don't know um are there other monsters that were unfairly banished like other mythical creatures i don't know um the final thing i want to say about abominable at least in the 2020 version um when we got monsters at work or maybe it was 2021 i can't remember uh this man has become a floofer yeah, quite, he'd, yeah. <laughs> quite the floofer. I want to yeah. give him some pets. Bountiful snowman. Yes. He do be adorable, though. Yo, he do be. Um, and he's also serving up some snow cones at smack, apparently. <laughs> Although I don't know how he gets the, the yellow and the red to, like, not mix together. They're kind of, he- like, um, you know, swirled in very, like, distinctly. He spent that banishment time you know, perfecting his craft. His quarantine. <laughs> he, he spent his quarantine real well. Wow, exactly. Wow, exactly. While we were out here messing around with sourdough, Abominable Snowman was out here perfecting the art of snow comb making. He, he hopped over to the In the Heights verse and hung out with Daddy <laughs> oh Lynn a little bit. He's like a little puragua, puragua. Uh, Anyways, I'm going with Abominable. I like this character a lot. I think he's really likable, really sociable. He's a real, like, normal, down-to-earth guy, and that's super rats and burgery to me. I would argue that Husband Crab is also very relatable. Sure. He's very, yeah. you know, the everyday guy. He profiles, like, a, a dad doing a little yard work on a Saturday morning, and he's just trying to get it done, and people are distracting him. Dory's like, I can't go through this, like, essentially, what, like, water pipe, sewer pipe to get into the aquarium that we soon learn is what it is. And she goes, I, I can't go in there. I'll forget where I'm going. And husband crab goes, well, I guess you're just stuck here then, eh? And it's such a, like, dad thing. Like, okay, move on. I guess this is just what you're doing. Here you are. It's a little bit snarky. It's the John Ratzenberg that we like that, A, that he has at the end of the sentence puts a little... Ratzenberg rasp on the end. So you definitely love to hear that. But when it's up against the Abominable Snowman, which another core character of the Ratzenberg catalog is the optimistic, happy-go-lucky Mac Abominable Snowman. Sometimes, sometimes ham, um, but not, not very often. It just fits very well. It's it's the John type. It's the type that you want to know, type of character that you want to see and that you enjoy being around. He, in Monsters at Work, gets a little bit annoying. And I think that his character kind of changes in Monsters at Work. Yeah. And, you know, 
Chelsea, you had brought up that Monsters at Work just has a different feeling in general, and that kind of adds to it. Feels like John's performance in Monster at Work was very phoned in. Like he doesn't mm. give as much of the passion that you get in Monsters Inc. But there's just so much out of Monsters Inc. in such a tiny time frame that it's enough to move on past Husband Crab, which I actually really enjoy and am happy that he's a character within my mind now. So the number three is moving on. Any surprise there, Chels? No, although I did think that you guys were just because of how you introduced Husband Crab. I thought you were like, <laughs> I thought this was going to be like a tough one between the, the two of you. But um, but yeah, it's with a Bonmo Snowman, I think, especially in Monsters at Work, it could have been done a lot better. Um, it's like, I think so Pixar has mastered the ability of the Easter eggs and and how to like put properly put cameos in and write stuff so i think it's that lost the mark a little bit there but we won't blame pixar for that we'll blame disney animation for that one so sure. we'll 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 leave a bottomless snowman he had no part in any of this he was just banished <laughs> like what can you do the poor guy he needs to get a break yeah i feel it and he got one in this first round because he's moving on let's move on to our Final matchup in this round of 16. It's the number six, the Underminer from Incredibles 1 and 2 versus number 11, Mustafa from Ratatouille. Um, Underminer, the character that many of us actually did want to learn more about. Underminer shows up at the very end of Incredibles after they have saved the city from Syndrome and all of his little, his, well, not little, big robot boys that are destroying the city that he has control over. Life is returning to normal. Dash is able to compete in a track meet. That's all he's wanted to do is play sports. He's able to do that. The family is cheering him on, but also telling him to slow up every time he takes too big of a lead. He ends up getting second place, I, I believe, in order to kind of keep his cover. They walk in out into the parking lot and then the chaos ensues of the Underminer. He comes up out of the ground on a massive drill and he is shouting in that Ratzenberger rasp. And he says, I am the Underminer. Um, can, <laughs> no, that's in the second one. Behold, behold the Underminer. I'm always beneath you, but nothing is beneath me. <laughs> which is very funny, very good. And he kind of shouts that it's always beneath you, but nothing is beneath me, kind of in the background of other dialogue. So you kind of have to listen to it because he is far away as it happens. And it's just very good. And then basically the Incredibles put their masks on and that's the last that we see of him until Incredibles 2, in which we get a very good opening scene out of Incredibles yeah. 2 with the interrogation of Tony and trying to recap what had just happened uh, with the Underminer. Uh, and it's basically what the Incredibles like lawyer who is trying to discern whether Mr. or not Dicker. Tony. Yep. Decide, trying I to think discern he whether, maybe works for the government or the supers society of supers or something okay. like that. Yeah. I think that's why I chalked him up as like a lawyer type where he's like representing the supers and their identities and trying to keep them safe, which he's is why like they Nick go into like witness. Yeah. I was going to say he's like right. shield. Yes, yes, exactly. So he's interrogating Tony. Very good opening scene. And he real and Tony's recapping what had happened. And that's how we get launched back into the Underminer. We get a much higher def, well-animated yeah. version of the end scene in The Incredibles. If you watch, 
those side by side, it is amazing how far, well, not amazing because it had been years and years and years. Amazing is like Toy Story to Toy Story 2. That was amazing how big of a jump the quality was made in a couple of years. But it just, it's a whole different world with Incredibles 2. Underminer is drilling under a bank. He's going to go rob it. He sucks up some money through the through his big vacuum cleaner that he has in his massive drill. Uh, he, he, his catchphrase is consider yourself undermined, which is also a very silly kind of play on words with undermining his intelligence, undermining his capabilities. Consider yourself undermined. And when Mr. Incredible is trying to fight him, he gets locked into the like vacuum hold of the vacuum cleaner that he's using to suck up the money. And when he escapes and starts fighting the Underminer, Underminer escapes through a a baby drill and drills himself away. And he just gets away. That's all we know of the Underminer. He's gone. So we get some like Ratzenberger grunts. We get him saying some like cleverish, punny lines, which is also very Ratzenberger of any of these Pixar characters. And then you get him yelling, which I, of course, really love as being the PT flea guy. Mustafa and Ratatouille, French accent Ratzenberger. It's often hard to tell that it's Ratzenberger, but then every once in a while, he lets a little bit of that rasp go. He is the anxious type character in this one. He is the server of the restaurant that Remy and and Linguini work at. And he has to serve Ego, the food critic. And every time he encounters Ego, it's a very anxiety-inducing situation. It's interesting that the Underminer cameo is a little bit higher up than this character in Ratatouille who appears a lot more often and has a few few more lines. But to me, the Underminer is the better Ratzenberger character because how well he profiles with the voice acting that is done. We get the, the clever lines that Ratzenberger characters are known to do. We get the raspiness. We get the yelling. We don't get an accent. That is a Ratzenberger cameo. And it's even a cameo that spans a couple of movies, which is unique, but a cameo in that. I'm going to go with the underminer here. Um, I was doing, while we were talking, a little bit of uh, historical research here. Okay. Because I thought there may be some inconsistency. And I want to talk this out because I there might be. Uh-oh. <clears throat> You said uh, Underminer says, consider yourself undermined. Yep. He doesn't just say it. He says, consider yourself undermined, which yeah. is a reference to the song Consider Yourself from the musical Oliver. Would not have even, would not have even caught that. Mouse Madness alumni Elizabeth Bowersox sang that song in the James Dukes <laughs> Elementary School talent show um, in about in about 2009. Um, Incredibles, I was like, isn't Incredibles set in like 1950s? It is set in 1962 uh, okay. as evidenced by Bob Parr reading a newspaper um, that is oh. dated May of 1962 towards the beginning of the movie. Now, Oliver debuted on the London West End in 1960, but did not come to the United States until a couple years later. Uh, There was a 1962 national tour and it premiered on Broadway in January of 1963. So uh, 
these events are like weirdly tied to each other. <laughs> like uh, the, the battle between Bob Parr and Underminer and the premiere of Oliver on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, maybe the Underminer like, rolled up to the premiere. That's that's the thing that's funny to me is that like what a strange like reference to just like throw into this movie and this one character's line of dialogue. So weird. That is weird. So weird. Um but uh I'm going with Mustafa. Uh Ooh. Mustafa is someone who, like you said, is always uh, a little bit flustered and just really trying to kind of like uh get their work done. And like, yes, he has that French accent that is not particularly Ratzenbergery, but um, Mustafa is, uh, in my opinion, uh, one of the better parts of the movie Ratatouille. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite. I'm not even kidding. Before we even did this bracket, my favorite line in the whole movie is, "He likes the soup." <laughs> <laughs> okay. He likes the soup. Yep. Um, and that's a John Rassenberger line. So I appreciate it. Um, the, and the fact that like Mustafa is on the front lines up against, uh, against ego. Um, and uh, there's a, there's a little moment that uh, this is not Mustafa related, but I want to talk about it right now. <laughs> um, uh, Anton ego. Um, he's a sauce boss. Um <laughs> And someone who is a sauce boss just loves, they love sauce. They love putting sauce on everything. They love condiments. Um, they love engineering their own condiments. And, and that is evidenced by Anton Ego. When he's done with his plate, the little finger wipe uh, yeah, on that yeah, yeah. plate and uh-huh. licks that sauce right off of his finger. Uh-huh. I, too... am a sauce boss. Oh. Uh, but I don't do the finger. I don't do the finger wipe. I, I'm t- sure to like soak up whatever food is remaining um, <laughs> in whatever sauce remains either in the cont- container or on the plate. Um, I got to get every last ounce of sauce on that last bite of food. Got it. My father before me also <laughs> is a sauce boss. <laughs> at, the, at the dining room table, I, I had a seat... Uh, at the corner with my dad. So we weren't next to each other or across from each other. We were like on the corner next to each other. And, and his method for absorbing all of the sauce is he will take the fork and, and just scoop the sauce into his mouth that's left on the plate. Huh. Um, not to put uh, my dad on blast, <laughs> but... Um, your dad and come, your sister all in one I, matchup. I come from a family of sauce bosses and I appreciate Anton Ego in that moment. Uh, okay. Showing himself as a sauce boss, I feel seen in Anton Ego. I'm I'm happy that you were represented in this uh, Ratatouille adventure. Uh, I digress. Uh, it's Mustafa for me. Wow. Um, Underminer, Underminer's fine. I, I get what you're saying, but uh, I just don't like his face. Looks don't like, like it. He's underground. Yeah, I don't like it. Makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Weirds me out. Chelsea, this one's going to you. Your your first and only tiebreaker in round one. This ain't my first one. I get to end this episode <laughs> off with breaking some hearts. Yeah. Um. So it was funny because as soon as you said that you were going for Mustafa, Chris, I was like, oh, I'm up. All right, now I got to decide. 
And at first I was leaning towards the underminer, but then I heard your arguments and they were oh, really man. good. Plus I thought, well, the underminer is like kind of like what you were saying, uh, Kyle, is that the, the, it's very much PT flea, but like we already have PT flea. Like we don't need a replica or like semi replica of that. So I really like Mustafa as a character is it, he's, it's like a totally different Ratzenberg character that we're, we're not getting. And it's a, him with an accent that I think he pulls off really well. Um, that being said, the whole like French accent is French, right? Like they're in Paris. Yeah. The whole yep. French accent to me is, um, very, quite funny. Um, and it's one <laughs> that we play around with in my family a lot. Um, and it just it just works. So I'm I'm gonna push Mustafa forward. Wow, wow, wow. Moose. And that's how the round of sixteen ends. We are left with an elite eight that is top seed heavy, and that's how we like it. it is the number one ham versus the number nine Fritz in the first Elite Eight matchup. And this next one, it's gonna be number four, Mac, versus the number five, School of Fish. Across the bracket is going to be the number two, P.T. Flea versus the number seven, John. It's a Kyle versus Chris matchup in that second elite or third elite eight viewing. And then at the final elite eight matchup, it is the number three, Abominable Snowman versus the number 11, Mustafa. Chels, thank you so much for joining us. You didn't have to do so much, but you provided <laughs> a lot of great insight as we continue to move these characters on. And I look forward to the real task, which is breaking down a lot of these top seeds and finding a true winner in part two. I think we're going to hit a lot of more arguments in, in part two. I agree. All right, everyone, you know how to reach us. If you have something to say about our John Rassenberger selections, uh, <laughs> if you've got a bracket idea of your own, if you want to hop on, do some co-hosting, please send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or if you'd like to support us, on Patreon at the $5 level by becoming a member of Jerry's gang. Head on over to patreon.com slash madness to check out all the details, folks. Until next week, where we finish off this John Ratzenberger extravaganza, thank you and gracias. <laughs>